Greetings, this is Drew. Grace and peace to you on this week, this Holy Week. At this time of year, many in ministry, especially, are gearing up for a week of holding services, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, some churches even a Saturday night Easter vigil or Easter sunrise service or even more weekday services. And, you know, in the midst of all this, people who serve at the churches, whether it's readers, whether people who serve on the altar guild preparing the sacred space for these days, or, or the preachers and the presiders of these services, it may be easy to lose sight of how important and central uh, this week is in the Christian year, how it is the defining uh, crux of our very Christian identity in remembering Jesus's death and resurrection. So we don't have an episode for this occasion, at least not a brand new one, and probably won't be doing episodes during this time of Holy Week, like in future years, but I thought it would be good this week uh, just to, you know, repost a previous episode that we did titled, It Is Finished. Uh, These words, It Is Finished, were of course spoken by Jesus on the cross, and these words mean everything to us, and we discuss it in this episode. Uh, this is one of our earliest episodes on Dolph Protest. We had the guest, our guest and friend, Reverend Ben Madison on. Uh, we get into the significance in our discussion of what it means for us when Jesus says it is finished, how his life, death, and resurrection finishes and consummates our world, unites us to him through his cross and destines us for glory by his resurrection. So uh ben and i also discussed in this episode law and gospel what is law what is gospel why the law and gospel distinction but not separation is the lens by which we see jesus's action in history it's the lens by which we read the scripture and it's how we frame our proclamation i did slightly shorten the episode for this reposting so it mainly just continue, uh, contains like the main things we discussed but you are, of course, invited to, of course, scroll down and listen to the original version in the back catalog of our episodes. Uh, if you're listening to this uh, uh, on Spotify or a streaming service, it'll be on there. Uh, one of our earliest episodes for you listening to this on YouTube. Uh, uh, we, we, we just have this version of it, but you're free, of course, go to Spotify or our streamers and find the previous one. Uh, the previous episode, uh, we left. So we left out in this reposting a humorous discussion that Ben and I had in the in the beginning of the original version of the episode where we reminisced about past music trends of the 2000s, how genres like a new metal and metalcore are both dead now and why ben was never into the heavy stuff anyways but listened to bands like explosions in the sky and i for the record i'm not really into heavy music uh anymore well, i never really was too much into it anyways outside of occasionally pulling up a song from an early metallica album but anyways that's all there in the original posting of the episode as well as uh some of uh reverend ben's uh evangelism through tiktok uh on the original part as well so if you want to go back and listen to that you're of course free to do so so without further ado take an hour out of your week which may be very busy or even less than an hour uh really to listen here about the good news of what christ has done for you the gospel of grace the most wonderful news to us sinners who so often forget about that grace and resort to tearing each other and our own selves apart so let this good news comfort you, renew and strengthen you. God bless.
So, the, so I'm catching you off guard because I meant to ask you this in the pre-show, but you said something about Christmas Carol, Muppets Christmas Carol, like <laughs> a month ago. And with your permission, I'd like to share it because I think that'll be a good segue into our discussion on Law and Gospel. Sure, sure. All totally. right. All right. It, was, um, it was posted on Ben's Facebook. Um, and I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, the most brutal, but also the most convincing thing in A Christmas Carol is the order in which Scrooge is given his visions. In Christmas past, he is reminded of his flaws, his humanity, and his need for a new start, which is a low anthropology. In Christmas present, he is shown and experiences unconditional love that he neither earns nor deserves. This is the gospel. In Christmas future, he is confronted with the full burden of his actions and decisions, which is the law, which literally led to death and the subsequent rejoicing of those he hurt. It makes sense then that when he wakes up from those visions, then he immediately reverses course, not because he had these things in him in the first place, although at one time he might have, but because it's literally the love of people around him who love him in spite of himself, like Bob Cratchit, Tiny Tim, and his nephew, who make that change, who make that change a foregone conclusion. Uh, the call to repentance we hear from John the Baptist is doing exactly this, not so much convincing, not so much convicting us of sin, which happens in the process, but calling us out of pain, isolation, and hurt in a world where the, quote, love is gone, unquote, into a world of redemption and reconciliation where, quote, love is found, unquote. And then you said something about, you, you were watching Muppets Christmas Carol, and that's what inspired you to write. Um, beautifully put, and... Now that we applied it, because you, you creatively applied that to the movie that you watch, and that, and so maybe in theo, from a theological standpoint, I guess ex, let's explain law and gospel first. Can you explain low anthropology? What and as that's a, so funny, yeah. Um, somebody literally asked me to do that yesterday because I use it all the time. So the 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 most succinct um, definition I have for low anthropology is believing that people are people. And if I was forced to expand, what I would say is, right, we have a tendency to always imagine or desire or want people to be better than they are. And a low anthropology recognizes that people are people, that I'm a person and you're a person, and that as much as I want to be better than I am, the reality is that I am so often not and if I'm really honest with myself, I'm usually a lot worse than I wish I was, right? So it's about, you know, a, a low anthropology, sort of meaning a low view of people, right? And I, it's especially important in our world because so much positivism and progressivism is baked into, right, an enlightenment understanding of people. Like John Locke's whole tabula rasa, right? Like you're an, you're a, you're a blank slate, and we just write on it, and we could write the right things, and everything would be wonderful, right? Like, as much as our modern world says, you know, we are better than this. The reality is, we are not better than this. <laughs> we might want to be better than this, and that's a good place to start, but we aren't, right? And acknowledging that is a low anthropology. I always like to say because some people don't like. I'll just like start talking low anthropology. Pologically around people and I get weird looks and like 
No, great. And then I just, I always go when I have to like, kind of like illustrate, I'm like, do you watch the news? Do you watch the news every day? Uh, I mean, I don't see how, um, and it's amazing because, and I think like, I mean, the news, the news cycle is, is so much, um, these days, everything's so instant. And I mean, it's just so different from the way it always was. But nevertheless, like 10 years ago, there were like, it seemed like stakes were high. And if people just got their act together, and this is going wrong, and that is going wrong. And I mean, there's always been a doomsday aspect to the recent scandal of the day or the recent unrest of the day and everything. And I just feel like, and I'm not like saying, oh, that's just the way humans all, always are, so we could just live with it. But no, low anthropology, it realistically looks at, and it's theological because it implies that we cannot save our own selves, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Well, that's uh, Jake Smith, who also writes for, uh, for Mockingbird and uh, does one of the podcasts. He always says this thing about like, you know, we're all like three days out of being the cover of the tabloid. Right. And like, everybody's on day two. Like that's right. Like, like that's low anthropology that uh, like the whole transformation, like this whole narrative around cancel culture is hilarious to me because people are so surprised by it. And it's because their anthropology is so high. Right. If you can't immediately off the top of your head, think of the thing that would totally blow up your life. <laughs> right. If it suddenly became incredibly public and you didn't want that to happen, your anthropology is probably not low enough. Oh, or you right. probably don't know yourself well enough. Heck, I mean, I'll see like a timeline, Facebook timeline. I posted this in 2011. I'm like, oh, I'm deleting that, you know. <laughs> like, it's like... Delete, 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 delete. <laughs> right. Uh, oh. Facebook memories are strictly there to remind you that you are a sinner in need of God's unconditional grace. Yes. And thank God it is unconditional because the world, it is, the world does not know that unconditional grace. Um, it, it, it cannot. It cannot. Um, so I guess, well, break in, in theological terms, the long gospel contrast, I guess, explain, and it's not like they're not opposed to each other. I think that's the important thing we'll put in the, they're not opposed to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the long gospel, um, way of looking at things, the long gospel way of reading the Bible. Um, I guess uh, in your own way, I guess, talk a little bit about, about that. Yeah. So it's like, so I always see it as two sides of the same coin, right? Two sides of the same coin meant to address the issue of low anthropology, right? So long gospel comes from Martin Luther, right? As a way uh, that Luther used to examine and read scripture and it you know it comes to anglicanism by way of uh cranmer and right and protestantism and it is a very popular hermeneutic in american evangelical anglicanism well into the early 20th century um that being said that was an ever shrinking (laughs) group of people uh evangelical Episcopalians uh, in the in the in the nineteenth century, so like roughly the way that Luther did it, and there are books that you can read that are good about this that I'm not going to be able to tell you. Um, although uh, Gerhard Friday's on being a theologian of the cross is one of them that's really good. Um, 
right? The way that Luther looks at scripture is with these two poles, right? And it's probably best to understand them as poles because Luther's all about paradox, right? And it would be imprecise to call them like antithesis, like it's not Hegelian at all, right? There, it's not, a, there's no dialectic going on. They're in conversation with each other and they, they, they're the same thing, right? And this goes straight to Paul, right? Is the, is the law, if it tells us, if it causes us to sin, is the law sin? No, absolutely. Meganito, right? So the law is understood in scripture as any of the coulds, woulds, oughts, shoulds, musts, right? The demands that are placed on us. And, right, this comes in several categories, right? This is like the ceremonial law. This is the uh, right, the religious demands and expectations that come at the end of Paul's letters when he's writing to the churches. This is the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments are like law writ large by the finger of God on stone tablets, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? Like if it sounds like it would be far more intimidating in the King James Version, it's probably law, right? And like the law gives us God's perfect expectation for people. Right. That like if people could actually do it, if we were actually doing all the things that the law tells us to, um, the world would be better. Right. We could be better people. But again, it goes back to that problem of low anthropology. Right. We aren't better people. We're human. And even though we want to be, we can't get there on our own. So to the woulds, shoulds, oughts, coulds, wants, musts. Right. We get this word of gospel that says it is done, right? It's finished. That the whole demand and expectation and requirement of the law is finished in the work of Christ, in his perfect life, death, resurrection, and ascension, right? And that to a world burdened by woods and coulds, God speaks this emphatic word that says, I have done it for you. I will and am and have done it for you and I will draw you to this finished thing. Right. Um, and God does that through grace. Yeah. It's, I, and it's funny as far as um, there's a couple, I, I noted you mentioned Luther, um, a couple of the things I've read on, I well recently um, I'm reading a book called Martin Luther's theology. <laughs> Pretty plain, straightforward title, uh, but it's by Bernhard uh, Lozy, L-O-H-S-E. And it's a historical and systematic, like, he, he he's like, he's being like historical theologian, uh, which is kind of like tracing Luther in his life. And as his thought developed throughout his life and throughout his, you know, ministry and calling. And it's also a systematic treatment because it tries to best, even though Luther was not uh, properly a systematic theologian, it does try to really examine through his works and through his, right, you know, how, where his thoughts stood at any given point in time. And the part he, he, where he covers Luther's really development of that hermeneutic. And of course, hermeneutic would be, uh, you define hermeneutic, but I, I, I'm always interested when I, when I hear what others say, <laughs> how others define hermeneutic. There's many Friends, ways. This means that Andrew didn't do his homework. No, I'm kidding. Hermeneutic is a way to understand something. Right. It's a way to it's a way of reading, a way of understanding the world. Uh, that's how I always understand hermeneutic. I could be wrong. Her, yeah. I mean, for, I mean, simplistically, you say, oh, it means interpreting. It's kind of that, you know, 
but it's like a specific it's a lens right i was thinking right. about it as like lens through which you read or interpret or right it's like uh you know you can see the world through rose-colored glasses or you can be right a lutheran leaning anglican and see it through very dirty glasses but it's see right. uh, the soft glow of christ on all of it right that's <laughs> a very as good in a mirror dimly and, and don't, I mean, I hope our listeners don't uh, mistake us for being like pessimistic, you know, the world is evil, but it is. Um, <laughs> people are terrible. They yeah. are. <laughs> we are. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so, but the, the properly, So look, I, look, we're definitely not, I'm not a pessimist at all. I hope you can hear that in, in what I'm saying, right? I'm not a pessimist in the slightest. I just put the entire location of my hope of any goodness, of anything that is beautiful and holy and righteous and correct in this world, uh, in the seat of Christ, right? It, it doesn't come from me, certainly. So Amen. that's where my hope is unequivocally. Amen, man, that's beautifully put. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so Luther takes the hermeneutic, the lens, <laughs> the law and gospel lens, looking at the Bible, and he basically says everything in the Bible is either law or gospel. And, um, and that doesn't have to be binding. Right? That can be very, and again, so this way of like this coinage of a, the, the, Luther coined this, you know, law and gospel. Okay. It wasn't around for 1500 years. Okay. Uh, but you still see, I mean, it, and you don't have to, I mean, a lot of Christians probably have never heard of seeing things in the way of law. So like, that's the, so like, this is something that I would say about Luther's reading, right? And that sort of gives people like an overview because again, because we're in the modern world and because everything is dialectic, right? Everything is poles, right? It always feels like law and gospel are in competition with each other, right? But if you look at like, if you look at the dichotomy and I don't even like using that, right? But if you look at these poles of law and gospel, the very fact that there is law is in line with the gospel plan for God's redemption in the world, right? The fact that God would reveal God's self on Sinai and give this covenant and create this and establish this thing forever is itself an act of gospel, right? Of God stepping out of God's unknowability and coming to us fully so that it's not right to say that they're in competition or they're poles because things can simultaneously and are often law and gospel. That what you find is when you read through this lens, through this hermeneutic, that exactly the thing that you're broken on, right? Exactly the ways that the law uh, crushes you is exactly the place where God is working in your life to make you whole. Right. And it's, so it's, and it's, it's a, there's a unity in a sense. Mm-hmm. As long as the, the distinction is kept in mind, there is a unity there, and, and it and it corresponds. Even though, yes, it's a brand new coined thing from Luther, it corresponds to things. First of all, that August Augustine talked about Augustine Augustine. You could say whatever. I'm not. <laughs> and uh, and it corresponds to Paul. I mean, you can't read, especially letters like Galatians and Romans from the Bible, where uh, Paul talks about you know being held captive under the law. No one can measure up to the law, but the saving gospel of Jesus Christ frees us and it frees us to live into you know, the law is no longer a demand because we're freed now. It's not a demand, but it's we're free to live into what we are as Christians. How For freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, right? Galatians five one, like the freedom that the law gives you is the freedom of play, right? It's the freedom of knowing that, 
you are not being judged or held account for the things that you do or don't do, but that you get this privilege, right? You get to do these things that you want to do, right? And Luther divides these things into, right? That uh, Luther suggests, and I love this, that the, that the freedom that comes with Christ is a freedom to actually, for the first time, without self-interest, without self-righteousness, without sin, fully love God and your neighbor, right? And that it's this powerful thing that like you have been set free from ever worrying about whether I'm supposed to do this or need to do this or have to do this for my own salvation or for the salvation of the world, because that has already been secured in, in Christ. So what, what I, this is how I describe it to my congregation all the time is, what would you do if this was true, right? What would you do if everything Jesus said he finished and did was true and the, and the law was fulfilled and you got to pick whatever you wanted to do for God? What would that be, right? What does that freedom feel like? Um, right. Of, yeah, it's um, so, and it's funny because there was a quote I had seen. And so I don't think it's like, I don't think Christians have to know specifically like they, they don't have to know like in detail, like what the, I don't think they've, they, they even have to like hear of the law and gospel hermeneutic because for 1500 years, that wasn't like a established hermeneutical lens, but nevertheless it was still there. And I think as long as we understand how God's grace, um, how that works, with um with his not his expectation i'm sick of using that word but his his plan his designed plan will for us um i think it's you know as long as we know but so even though uh so anyway i was going to move on to this quote um from leander leander keck who is a new testament professor um from yale divinity school and I believe he's still alive, actually. Um, and he, uh, he's been around for a long time. But he, 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 we read this book in seminary called The Church Confident. And he wrote a little piece in there about like uh, church proclamation and, and the message that the church is giving to its people. And it was kind of a critique he saw in a lot of mainline Protestant churches and um, more liberal churches. And he said, quote, because much current theology has tacitly replaced gospel with law, it offers little basis for good news, except for the, the alleged beneficiaries of current class action theology. The classical Christian understanding of the gospel, the good news that Christ God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves, has been replaced by the announcement that because the destiny of the world is in our hands only, we must work harder than ever to save it. Sometimes it is implied that it is even wrong to expect God to do it. But for whom is this good news? Where is the good news for the self that fails, that faces meaninglessness, despair, futility, as well as tyranny of disease and death? Can reconciliation with God really be found by involvement with good causes? In, far, in short, far too much theology today underwrites a striver's manual instead of a gift certificate from the God who, in Paul's words, justifies the ungodly, unquote. I had, like, goosebumps when I read that. For the f I still get it when I reread it. But it kind of speaks, like, so, 
I think whenever you kind of lose that sense of what the gospel really is, right? Because I hear a lot of churches talk about like, we got to do some gospel business. We got to do the, the work of the gospel, gospel implications, which I believe is a thing. I mean, I believe that there are implications of the gospel for our social life. I, I get that. At the same time, I think I can easily devolve into a, a type of moralism. And I, and you see these moralisms on the right and on the left. I think on, on, in, on the right, in more conservative Christian circles, and we saw more of this growing up, I think, I think in the 80s and 90s, this was more a thing. You saw like purity culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw, um, I remember there was the whole, <laughs> I don't even know if I'm going to get into that, but it was kind of like, it, or legalism. Legal are you know that just it's about not sinning, mm-hmm. right? It's you know about, that the number one question I get I get on TikTok all the time is X or Y a sin? Is it a sin to X or Y? Right. And I'm like, why do you care? Like, not not that I don't care about sin, right? Right. Like, this is they they always say you know, well, Mockingbird always gets you know, everybody is always like, oh, that they're antinomians. Well, yeah, but like, are you even preaching the gospel if somebody doesn't? call you an antinomian you're no you're that's not. so true and explain what an antinomian was this so antinomian is like so hey could antinomians ever exist i don't know I, I i'm on the side of no so antinomian is greek for no law right the lawless ones and like <clears throat> i guess it, there was a sect a subsect of christians who were known as antinomians who were either like incredibly baseless like, like we're just like absolute monsters apparently but there's some question as to whether or not they ever actually exist or if it was just like a rhetorical argument right and i can anyone really be free from the demands of the law right paul would suggest that when it's written on your heart that like uh, and i always make this i say unless you're a sociopath right unless you are sociopathic there is always something that is bothering you regardless of how debased you are right? Maybe you're just upset that you're not debased enough, right? Like I could have been, I could have made more money. I could have gotten more things out of people, right? So like an antinomian, when they, when they call Christians antinomians, essentially what they're saying is you give a warrant for sin, right? Like you just don't care. You don't, you know, if Jesus really finished everything, then nobody can possibly sin. And like, there's no, right. It's that, uh, it's the little Caesars commercial, right? There's no rules. And he takes his shirt off and somebody shouts, put your shirt back on. He says, there's one rule, right? Like that's, that's ant- that's antinomianism confronted with the reality of the law. Well, in um, antinomianism, historically, uh, it became a bit a reformation a reformation era debate. Um, I have a book called, authored by Martin Luther, called "Only the Decalogue is Eternal," um, or not only the Decalogue. It's called "The Decalogue is Eternal." Not only. I don't know what I was saying there. Maybe because I was like thinking of, um, you know, dietary laws. Obviously, the Old Testament don't apply today, but. Um, Luther, uh, he confronted because there were some people, some of his friends, some of the people who were with him during the Reformation that were part of Witten, but part of his Reformation that really came out as as antinomians or or believed that um, the law was totally done, done away with. And, and Luther argued, no, the law still still applies. The Ten Commandments still applies today. It didn't end with the Old Testament. Just as similarly, you know, law is not synonymous with Old Testament. It's kind of a separate note, and gospel is not synonymous with the gospels or New Testament because Luther believed uh, the gospel, there's gospel to be found in the Old Testament. Well, and like, I would note, too, that, like, um, true antinomians, like, it's super problem. True antinomianism is really anti-Semitism, right? Like, if you, uh, if you're, if you're just outright saying, like, the Old Testament law has no value, 
like <laughs> dial it back bud like that is like you're you're perilously on the on the cliff right, that just right. leads to just like horrible anti-semitism but like you know yeah. I, it's i just am not sure you know i think the way the way i would describe if someone started telling me that the law was bad right that is antinomianism right if you're going to tell me that like the 10 commandments are bad we're going to have to have a conversation, right? Like maybe you are an antinomian then because you're not really understanding the distinction between law and gospel because the 10 commandments are good, right? Love the Lord, right? Uh, you know, have no other gods before me. Don't make graven images, honor your father and mother. Like all of these things we could, we should be able to universally agree upon. Like these are good things. And if you're then going to turn around and say, well, they're bad things because they convict me and I can never do them. So therefore that is bad. Like, okay, that's antinomianism. Right. But usually when people call you an antinomian, what they mean is, you know, you're friends with sinners. You let people sin. You're terrible. I'm like, do I let, can I let anyone do anything? Right. Right. right? Uh, I mean, obviously like, yeah, we don't encourage sin, but it's like, we also are not going to encourage a legalistic message that says, um, you know, once you do sin or backslide, you know, so, and that's kind of the right wing moralism. And and I think on the left, you see, um, Oh, it's just imperative after imperative. Oh, imperative after imperative. God, I've been so... to a lot of, I've heard these sermons in these mainland churches. Um, not any of the churches we're at, obviously, <laughs> but in mainland, I mean, it's, um, it's all about, it's all about what, uh, God, uh, what the work God needs you how are you how are you manifesting god's dream in this world how are you manifesting god's dream in this world and how are you how are you bringing the kingdom of god to the world around you right how how are you doing that right it's not about what christ did for you and that christ brought the right this is last sunday's lectionary right and he he went proclaiming a message of right that the fullness of time had arrived (laughs) <laughs> right that the kingdom of god had come near it's here folks right yeah, like here, no it is here. here it isn't some future uh social utopia well it will be perfect but it's not like yeah it's it's not something to kind of take and it can easily get political you can tailor it to you you know um and and i think it's uh it's oh this is really fun um i'm just going to capture it up with a quote there's a book <laughs> i'm going to have to to put another citation in the show notes there's a book uh, called streams of living water by uh rich by uh richard foster and um he, he talks about the the uh and it's a good book because he and i recommend anyone check it out. i'll put the title in it's called streams of living water and he talks about kind of the different strands of spirituality throughout the history of christianity and he talks about their strengths um and what uh you know, who examples of people in the Bible or the, like the New Testament, especially and in the, in the history of the church, uh, for instance, like the holiness tradition is one of the strains of spirituality. Um, the, uh, evangelical strand, which he puts like Paul and Augustine and the reformers under, and there's all these strands and they all have their different charism, right? They're all their different gift, but they all have their way, uh, they're all their, there's different ways God worked through them. And, but he, so he, but he lists the pros and cons of all these strands and he talks about <laughs> the social justice tradition, which you know, he talks well about, you know, kind of the history of the 19th, 20th century, its strengths. Mm-hmm. And, um, th- and, and I'm going to quote him from this, from his book on, and, and he talks about the cons of it. Um, this, the second, uh, one of the perils, um, 
of the social justice tradition is of a, of a strident legalism, a legalism of its own. And this is a surprise to many because the social justice tradition is the stream with, with the least obvious religi religiosity. And it is most deeply rooted in human need. But after the holiness tradition, social justice is a stream most prone to rigidity and judgmental, judgmentalism. This is because it operates primarily on the level of action and lifestyle. People can easily be judged on the most superficial of outward standards. People's level of commitment to a simple lifestyle, for example, is often based upon the kind of housing they live in or the transportation they use or clothing they wear. In addition, the, the concerns of social justice are so critical to human life that we often cannot bring ourselves to allow the same latitude of differences that we might in other matters. We quickly and harshly condemn people who differ with us on matters, say of abortion or capital punishment, or racism or militarism or any number of other issues. Standards of who is in and who is out, who is right and who is wrong become more and more narrowly defined. It is a danger we tend to fall into because the stakes are so high, unquote. More goosebumps. Well, you uh, just oppressed me with the law, so I just want all your listeners to know I do drive a Prius. I, right, I'm not judging. My, I don't care if you drive my, It doesn't, it doesn't, it, this is the point of the law, right, is that you don't have to judge me with it. It judges me regardless, right? One of the things that uh, Mockingbird often likes to do is sometimes law, right, in this, in this poll, law and gospel can be difficult to understand, right? Especially when people think about the Ten Commandments. They're like, oh, okay, those aren't that hard, right? Ha, ha, you're wrong. Go look at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And then tell me that's not that, but that's neither here nor there, right? But the, the law, capital L law can be difficult to grasp, especially if you don't really have, you know, like a language, like a religious language to associate it with. So what they often try to do, which is why it like mashes with the culture, is they do look for little L laws, right? Those things that are not, you know, they're not, you know, they're not chiseled in stone tablets, but we know when we violate them. Like if you're an Episcopalian and, you know, uh, are you buying fair trade coffee? Right? Are you, are you driving? Are you driving a Prius? Uh, <laughs> do you, do you at least once a year buy a product where they sell, where they give other of that product away? for free, right? Like shoes or socks or whatever, right? It's these, it's these, and like evangelical, like conservative Christians have the same things, right? Are, are you giving your children the correct, uh, uh, what is it? Essential oils, right? Are, are you, are you, uh, are you homeschooling, right? Uh, all of these things that, that we create these within this realm of law, right? Which is any sort of demand that's placed on us. There are like good laws for our benefit from God. And then there are like small L laws that we make ourselves because we just can't stop loving, judging, and oppressing ourselves under them, right? Um, so you weren't oppressing me. The reality of law, right, was oppressing me. <laughs> yes. Do I have? No, I drive a Nissan Ultima. <laughs> okay. Well, we know where you are on the righteousness ladder. <laughs> Yes, right. Very unrighteous <laughs> sinner. I don't know about being a saint. Everyone in Texas, when I was a priest in Texas, everybody had a Prius and a truck. It's like the even down, right? It's just like the via media, if you will. The via media. That's the um, middle way for anyone who's unfamiliar. Yes. Um, so I didn't even know you were in Texas. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. okay. um, I'm going to really shift gears and ask you about 
TikTok. Okay. So it's actually not, I, I'll be completely honest. It's not really shifting gears that much. Okay. <laughs> like, the ministry on TikTok has literally been from day one. Well, that's not true. From day one, it was like, I'm bored and I'm stuck in quarantine and I'm, I miss all my church people. And uh, my wife wants to make a funny video. So like, let's make a bunch of funny videos for Holy Week because like, you got to laugh or you're going to cry, right? Like that's the way it goes. But what happened super fast, like unbelievably fast is people started finding us on TikTok, right? And like, we shared a couple of videos. One of the ones that transferred, you know, translated better to Facebook to shit them there. And like the Facebook video that we posted had almost 50,000 people like it which is just like un, like that's a lot of episcopalians right like and it's very niche like it doesn't really like it's mostly me just being goofy at church right and this community formed around us that suddenly people are asking like very real very hard questions that people at church don't ask me right questions that i would love to be asked by people at church like can you explain holy communion to me uh, is this a sin and how do I get forgiven for sins? Like, and like these basics of the Christian faith and suddenly like this, these floodgates open up and they're like asking all of these questions and trying to be led in the right way. They're just like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I guess this is a community now that I have to be a part of and participate in. So you it kind of just suck walk that in. line. It's my warning. Honestly, I warn, I invite clergy. I would love for other, you know, like inclusive and orthodox clergy to join me on TikTok because there is a ton of work to be done because there's a ton of other Christians on there who just have no problem telling everyone that they're not Christians, that they're going to hell, that if you have any sinning, literally, I so I do morning prayer on TikTok and Facebook now. And somebody the other day hopped in my thing is like, God doesn't listen to your prayers if you have any sin. And I was like, have you, have you read the Bible? I'm just wondering, like, uh, like, have you opened it up and read it? Like, I, I, I have to, like, I had to, I'm, I'm pretty good at ignoring it and going on with the liturgy and doing morning prayer, but I had to stop and laugh because like, if God only listened to people without sin, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Well, actually we wouldn't be in a lot of trouble. Well, he'd Jesus only be it. listening to his own son. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That's probably a best case scenario anyway. Like that honestly is <laughs> only listen to Jesus. Like, don't listen to me. I'm a butthead, right? Like don't do it. Right. Uh, but it's just like, so it's just like that all the time, right? It's just constantly a question of like, this is a sin. That is a sin. If you're not perfect, if you're not on fire, if you're not doing all these things, like you are not a real Christian. And like, I spend so much time on TikTok just telling people, that the work and expectation of Christ is fulfilled, right? That God loves them unconditionally, that there is nothing that they can do to separate themselves from the love of God in Christ Jesus, that it's fixed, right? And like, this is the, like, this is the beautiful offering, right? That the reformers and this hermeneutic give us is that there is absolutely nothing that you can do to change the faithfulness of Christ <laughs> because it has nothing to do with you in the first place. So if Christ is faithful, then all I have to do is proclaim the gospel, which is, a, which is the promise of Christ's faith, faithfulness in the midst of your unfaithfulness, right? And like, it's a blessing to be able to tell people this, um, to just say, if you want your sins to be forgiven, I can assure you that that has already happened. <laughs> right? how, how many people, I don't even know how, look, I don't know the temp, I don't know the layout of TikTok because I've never logged on to the thing. It like, and it's funny because I have, I have a, I'm a, I'm a youth minister. It's part of what I do at 
at where I serve, I, I'm a youth minister and also I work in the school now and I'm around Generation Z all the time, you know, that's what they're called. With their hand motion. Yeah, and they're all they and like TikTok, motions. they all, a lot of them TikTok. I mean, I think it's, it was really huge like a year. <laughs> and, and like kids were just, they were like, it was like study hall, which is like the last like 30 minutes of the school day. And uh, sometimes we get lax, like, okay, you can have your phones back. You know, you're about mm-hmm. to go home. And like, because I want to make a TikTok. And like, I remember there was like these <laughs> five girls that like did like this dance. They like made a TikTok. I'm like, I was like, yeah. gosh, I don't understand. It's like, it's it's like Vine from, you know, us millennials it's know about like, So it's exactly like, so it's like, it's exactly like Vine, except that it's, in some ways it's a lot easier to use and there's a lot more people on it, right? So like you have a feed, so you have two feeds. You have the feed of everyone you follow and then you have the algorithm that it just feeds you new, new content. And like, it will show you people who you follow in your, in the, on the For You page, uh, but it won't show you, it'll show you lots of other people, tons of people who you don't follow, right? So that like, the way it works is you make individual content, you make individual videos, and if the algorithm sees fit, <laughs> right, you end up on people's pages. Uh, and like, that's how, so like, there are other clergy who do this way better than me. Um, you should look up Mother Peaches on TikTok. She's a friend of mine. She's a priest, Laura. She's the best. And like, her stuff is fantastic. And she has like hundreds of thousands of people who view her stuff. It's unbelievable. I've had exactly three videos like blow up. and. I, I don't really understand. One was just me investments and like it hit like Italian TikTok. So suddenly we're getting hundreds of comments in Italian and I have no idea what's going on. And like my wife took French. So like we sort of get it. And like, we're trying to figure out if these are comments that need to be banned, but we can't tell because we don't speak Italian. But it has like 250,000 views. Oh right? my gosh. You have been like, viewed. You've been seen a quarter of a million times. Like that's, I just can't even fathom that. Like, I'm, you know, we're not, we're not famous people. I mean, you know, we're, <laughs> so. we're, we're no, not in the slightest. I'm not a famous person at all. In fact, what, uh, I was doing like a youth thing. Cause like I'm the rector at my church, which is like, I'm the senior pastor. Uh, but I'm also the only pastor. So there's no senior or junior. It's just like, I do everything. And I was doing, uh, you know, I was having like a youth thing and my kids are like, you know, father Ben, you have enough followers on TikTok to go live. And I said to do what? And they're like to go live. And I was like, well, what's that? They're like, well, you go live. I was like, well, what do I do? And they're like, you go live. <laughs> I was like, that's not very helpful. So like we started going live uh, and like I, we, ha- we quickly had to figure out something to do because it's so awkward to just stand there. There's a lag between the comments. So like, it's super weird. Like, I just started playing Xbox and I'll play Xbox and we'll be live and we'll just be chit-chatting. And then someone will hop in and ask a question and be like, um, you know, and like, it's always hard. Like, it's always super difficult theological questions that I'm just like, button so you kind of just have like, once you're live, it's like a time window of like, people can, you can go live for, so like, so it's like I a live chat on a YouTube video. Kind of. Correct. Okay. I have, I have regrettably gone live for like four hours once because like the conversation was really good. And like, I was playing Xbox. So I don't care. And like, what usually happens is we go live after our baby goes to bed. Right. This is what we were doing. My wife, Ashley, she plays on her phone or does work. I play Xbox. She's reading me the questions because I can't really read them and play Xbox. And then roughly around 1130, we start arguing with each other about like, she's a lawyer, about like arcane theological and legal concepts, usually about ethics. Like we're guaranteed to have a fight roughly around midnight about the ethics of the abortion debate 
when you take into account the future world wherein we have artificial wombs, right? And like that's the it gets it always goes off the rails somewhere, nice. right? It, yeah, um, that is <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, before we close off, uh, Ben, thank you so much for being. I mean, this is I'd love to have you back again. Um, this has been awesome. Um, I have, uh, there, there's a couple, there's a quotes from a couple articles. Um, I wanted to read, uh, that I, I'll just put the links for them in the, okay. um, can I do, can I, can I do something before you close your class? Yeah, do, yeah, I want to, I want to give an exhortation to your, to your listeners. Okay. Right. Yeah. That is, uh, the distinction between law and gospel, uh, was one of the most profound and fundamental experiences in my life as a Christian. It's what made me fully embrace and understand the grace of God. Uh, it's what allows me to remain in the Episcopal Church, even when I feel like maybe I, you're right. Who knows what's going to happen with the future holds? Uh, it's the thing that gives me hope in the darkest parts of my life. So that when you are preparing for, to preach or to teach or to do however you're living as a Christian, I just always want to remind everyone uh that it's finished right that the work of god is done that the gospel is true and that god's grace uh is overwhelmingly all-consumingly for you in god's love and compassion and that if you can cling to that and avoid imperatives and just tell people that god loves them in the midst of their difficulty um you'll be okay we'll all be okay thank you so much for that it is finished right um, I think I'm going to pull our show title from something you said in that last exhortation because, like, there was so much good. And like, one of that, one of those things is going to be the title of this episode, not the show title. The show title is Doth Protest. The episode title is what I mean. Uh, and as that, I lay dying. As I lay dying. Oh my Metal god! And- <laughs> Wasn't that like a classic literature book? Then the band. Yeah, William Faulkner. It's a good book. Oh, yeah, it is William Faulkner. I'd, uh, that's. I live in the South, and I should. Well, I'm a Yankee. I, Okay, um, so I, and I so I will close with this one quote because um, I, I I realized a way I can shorten it. But this was from so this was a sometimes um, Mockingbird will put up quotes from a book. Someone on there who writes was reading recently, like gosh, this is like you know profound, and they put it up. And this was from Mockingbird shared this, but it's from a book called um, Oh gosh, uh, where is it? At? It is from a book called. The Bible. Yeah, yeah, here I found it. It's from a book called <laughs> Ask Him Anything by Lloyd Ogilvy, uh, who's a minister. And I'll go ahead and share the quote from it. The Lord's love does not fail however much we fail him. Peter had built his whole relationship with Jesus Christ on his assumed capacity to be adequate. That's why he took the denial of the Lord so hard. That's why he took his denial of the Lord so hard. His strength and loyalty and faithfulness faithfulness were his self-generated assets of discipleship. The fallacy in Peter's mind was this. He believed, he believed his relationship was dependent on his consistency in producing the qualities he thought had earned him the Lord's approval. Many of us face the same problem. We project onto the Lord our own measured standard of acceptance Our whole understanding of him is based in a quid pro quo of bartered love. He will love us as if we are good, 
moral and diligent. But we have turned the tables. We try to live so that he will love us rather than living because he has already loved us. Amen. And now the peace of the Lord which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds and the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. I just had to do a blessing at the end of that. It just came. It was the spirit. Amen. Um, Ben, thank you so much, brother. Um, This episode will be up shortly. And uh, thank you. God bless you. Thanks, bud. Hi, and thank you for listening. This is Reverend Andrew Christensen again. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and don't forget to check out our previous episodes of Doth Protest Too Much. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or another streaming service that lets you rate and review our show, please do so. Five stars, one star, however you honestly feel, we can take it and would love and appreciate your feedback. Also, for any further questions or suggestions for our show, please email me at dothprotesttomuchpodcast at gmail.com. God bless your day.